This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Mark Williams. Hello. Hi, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Let's, let's right. skim over the, uh, the technical hoo-ha we've just gone through, like as if this is a smooth operation we're running, this podcast. <laughs> Of course. Indeed, indeed. Um, so we've not come to talk about my technical arrangements. Um, we've come to talk about your new documentary, which is a follow-up to your um, 2014 classic, um, VHS Forever, Psychotronic People. Um, the new one is, caught, is VHS Forever. Out of interest, I don't think I asked you this before. You've got VHS Forever, question mark. Yeah. Is this is that like, is that like a rhetorical question or is that it is yeah is, is that, that is that, 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 is, that a, is that a concern? <laughs> it is yeah I think so yeah a little, a little bit tongue in cheek I think as well but Got you. Uh, yeah I can't very rhetorical I think there you know and of course we call once upon a time in Camden yes I was going to say even, I didn't say yeah so even VHS. more cheek even more cheeky indeed in the current climate <laughs> yes with uh, a very big release <laughs> called uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so before we go into any detail do you want to give now. I can put a link in the show notes back to our original podcast where we talked about uh, psychotronic people. But do you want to give people a brief synopsis as to what VHS Forever Once Upon a Time in Camden is all about, please? Will do, yeah. I mean, it's sort of a... It's not really a sequel. It's sort of a prequel, really, because we're going back to the early days of the... uh, you know, the infamous psychotronic uh, shop or store, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going back to the original owners, um, a guy called uh, Bell Crows was one of the owners there, um, and sort of taking it from there. So, I mean, we've got people like David Gregory of um, Severin, you know, talking about his, re- re- you know, reminiscences at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's right, right the way back, right the way back. And then we sort of bring it up, 
throughout the film. We've got actually got a story. I mean, even with VHS one was sort of you know probably more sort of abstract. We've we've actually got a storyline here, which is good. So it starts you know with the with the toes yeah the owners before um, Tony Clark, and then we go straight up to um, you know up to Tony Clark and beyond really you know. Cool, cool. So so um, for those that don't know and haven't seen the first one, I guess we should say I guess you, and, and given you're saying it's a prequel. For you, and I, want to, and I said to this before we started, so what I want to do is I want to flip the table in terms of, in the documentary, obviously, you were asking fans of the kind of cult cinema that Psychotronic Store sold and the kind of people who, who were, um, I guess, either old heads ruling the roost or young young pe- young weirdos coming from all over the country <laughs> looking yeah. looking for band videos and trying to and trying to fit in whether that be buying someone a packet of custard creams or uh, or whatever it might be uh, which i thought was quite hilarious when you got to those bits um oh, but, yeah. Say, they, yeah but the do you want to tell fancies. yeah that's it french fancies yeah <laughs> so do you want to do you want to give people a sense of what how you think of the psychotronic store well, you know, I, I was like everybody else in the film. I mean, in the film, we call them, we don't call them customs, we call them uh, psychotronic punters. Uh, or it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek tongue reference. But I, I was, a, you know, I was a psychotronic punter. I think I just sort of stumbled. I was in Camden Town one day in the early 90s uh, and just sort of stumbled on this, you know, this little shop in the basement um, of number three Buck Street. You know, and it was like, uh, as they say in the film, it was like going down to the, you know, the never, never world, really. You know, you no, go down I, and, and and just for, for atmospherics, and obviously we're 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 doing an audio, not visual. So paint paint us a picture then with words of that kind of finding the address, seeing the name, thinking what the hell's in here, and and going in and finding what you find. What what was that kind of anticipation like? I mean, we we did you have? Was there any clue as to what was inside from what was outside for you? I didn't have a clue. I mean, even that, I probably in those days, I was always on the hunt for VHS, you know, mm-hmm. VHS X rentals or, you know, and Camden Town back then was a good place to start. I think as well, you know, you could get your uh, selection of bootlegs as well. There used to be a guy right by um, Camden Town Station selling copies of The Exorcist and uh, and Clockwork Orange, you know, all the usual sort of band uh, yeah. VHS there. And, and also, I think, as um, Dave Gregory says in the film, you know, it was a mecca for anybody who wanted collecting, um, you know, concert, bootleg concert tapes. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It was a place to go. You go to Camden Market, straight off, the, straight by the Tube. You know, it's no longer there, is it? I think it's. I think they closed it down Indeed. recently as well, Indeed. you know, no, which, yeah. is, which is really sad. So just off Camden Market, Free Buck Street, you literally cross the road. There's a pub on the corner. I can't remember the name of the pub. Cross the road, then you got this little basement. You got this little entrance, and um, you go just sort of went down there. It's this sort of subterranean down in the dark, if you like. There, so you never knew what to find. I think there was a two or three different um, shop outlets, all in the dark. Mm. But then you sort of came through into the light, if you like, now, and then now... found this small shop. You know, the small retail outlet. You know, this uh, psychotronic store. Now, now, one of the themes that runs through uh, Once Upon a Time in Candom is the, for want of a polite expression, the eccentric attitude towards customer service. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Yes. So, what's what's your mem- your first memory of 
of that kind of how, how out of interest how intimidating i mean because to me it reminds me of that um of what i remember of certain record shops in manchester where it's almost like you'd have to go you know um expert toe to toe just to oh, buy it's that, ju- type, that type of thing yeah def- definitely you know it's like you know when i went down these guys with these quiffed hair you know mm. rockabilly style haircuts if you like there was two guys there was bow there i think there was like, there was like a one would want to be down the pub and want to be uh, sitting behind the counter, you know, on sort of a, you know, sort of an ter- alternative, uh, you know, way of doing things, if you like, on there. But there, I think it was Bow sitting down there and he's just sort of reading the magazines. There was there was no customer service, if you like, you know. He just went down there and uh, looked, at the, looked at the tapes. And I think at the time they, they just had, like, didn't, you know, nothing was out on, you know, on display, you know probably a load of old manga tapes and things like that at the time. You know, everything was certified, everything, you know, Kung Fu tapes, you know, the usual psychotronic selection, if you like. But, um, yeah, yeah, they were very, <coughs> very, very aloof. And I can see, you know, see where these guys are coming from. When so, what, and what, so from your point of view, then, what do you remember of that sort of um, caustic customer service treatment? Did you did you experience that or was you, were you, were you, a, bit, did you have a bit more plain sailing? No, I, you know, you just go and you just, you know, and I, I think, you know, probably I didn't even ask for anything. I think the first thing I just looked around and, oh, yeah, you know, nothing I really wanted. So I didn't even bother to ask for anything, you know, mm. you, you know, if I had anything behind the counter. Then you, you know, hear stories from the film fair, uh, you know, et cetera, about them there, you know. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just like, a, it's like one of these exclusive record shops, you know, where you get the rarities there and you don't, you don't have to know your stuff. But when, when Tony Clark took over, it was totally different because Tony was, you know, Tony's very approachable and very friendly. So you felt like, you know, when you, your next visit, when Tony took over, it was, um, yeah, a lot more friendly, a lot more user-friendly, I'd probably say, or customer-friendly. It's, I mean, for, for the younger listener to this, this podcast who's a, who's a fan of cult cinema, it may feel a bit odd to imagine a time when you could buy certain films even though legally they weren't really for general consumption and the way of buying them and i had exactly the same experience in similar places up in manchester uh, buying them was a series of trust exercises with the customer and the store owner before you could buy something that was as they say under the counter now obviously that's a that's a common parlance in the pornography world where, yes, you know, yeah, where the kind of, definitely. the kind of fluffy tat that used to pass as pornography <laughs> in Britain. Um, and then there was what you could get that had come in from Amsterdam. Um, and in a similar way, but for different reasons, the, the whole kind of uh, video recording act and then the loss of pre-certification videos, which obviously went into some storeroom and obviously they became available through through the network of people into it. But but just just that, that notion for me is just is, is a kind of a hell of a reminder of a time that is that is is, is obviously quite um recently in my memory, but in reality it's nearly three decades, isn't it, the early nineties. That's correct, yeah. And, and it, it, it was scary times, you know, I think for people. And it was just so you know, I think the term draconian has been used, you mm. know, and it was very oppressive. You know, I mean, it's, you know, the government said, oh, you can't see these films. You know, looking back on these Nazis, they were just so ludicrous. And, you know, I think some of them passed for a 15 certificate these days, you know. so it's, Yeah, uh, it is. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot about reputation and a, and a lot less about content. 
Um, I remember my, my vivid memory at the time, certainly that late 80s, early 90s period when we had the rebirth of the video nasty thing post the Jamie Bulger killing and, you know, Child's Play 3 was somehow in the frame. And, and uh, in the early 90s, you had that explosion of US independent cinema. So you had like Bad Lieutenant with Bad, uh, Abel Ferreira or Reservoir Dogs from, um, from Tarantino. And you had Man Bites Dog playing at Cannes, you know, and things like that. But you could easily buy a, 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 a certified version of Man Bites Dog because it was black and white and subtitled. But the, but the government had said, you will not be able to buy a home entertainment version of Reservoir Dogs because we think it's, in inverted commas, too dangerous. And what they mean is it was too popular and we can make a bloody point here. Um, so... <clears throat> It's, do, do you do you how what do you remember of that trade off? You know, like where you knew there was this point where you had to gain their trust before you could start getting what you wanted. Yeah, you'd have to have a few visits to the uh, shop before you got invited to the the hallowed back room. You know, oh. this and I think I had a few, you know, five or six visits, and then I think Dan was in the shop who we mentioned in the film, great guy. You know, no longer with us, sadly. Yeah. Um, you know, and he said, oh, come and have a look at, see what you got. And, you know, fantastic. Everything there, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. But a lot of originals, a lot of the, you know, stuff like Videodrome, you get a longer cut of Videodrome, for instance, than we got over here. Hmm. Even without the sensor cuts, there was a longer, you know, longer prepared version of VHS. So that was, that was great. And I think it was the first thing I bought. I think I traded them a few bits and, uh, you know, but all the narses were there for a price. Everything was there for a price. Really, well, so, you know? what, so, give it, so give us an idea of the time. So what, what, what year are you talking when you get that video drone? I'm talking, yeah, probably the early 90s here, you know, very early 90s. I think, oh. you know, when definitely when Tony, Tony took over. And what did you pay for, what did you pay for that? I think it was about 15 quid or something. Isn't that insane? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I say that because at the same time, I bought a bootleg of Reservoir Dogs and Cannibal Holocaust from... A place, if I remember rightly, was called Manchester Underground Books, and um, I'm paying twelve quid for a freaking pirate. Yeah, yeah. Because I think you know, but further they went, you know, probably when you go away from London, it gets more expensive. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. So you you, you know you're paying for the nose for a, you know, just for a copy, which is crazy, isn't it? So yeah, fifteen quid's a good buy, and I think I traded it for double that, I should think, you know, uh, later on. So. Uh, Talk us through the idea <laughs> of trading, please. Well, yeah, trading. I mean, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of the time we go in there and, you know, they were always after stock, you know, pre-cert mm. tapes or, you know, so they'd always be very keen. I, mean, I remember Tony, I mean, I, I, I think I had a, a big list of stuff I got from boot fairs and things, so I'd sort of go in the, Got him a loads, and we'd we'd sort of trade. So we'd go in there, and um, you know, do you want to, you know, you've got two tapes for for one, you know, an original from the back room or something, you know. I can't I can't remember exactly, but um, yeah, you know, they, they, I think we got you know got quite a, quite a fair deal, I think, you know. Mm. But but in terms of <clears throat> in terms of the notion of it, so what you're saying is that you as customers were as much eyes and ears of this kind of rare stock that you couldn't just go to a wholesaler and find if you're if you're reliant on a car boot sale or a warehouse clearance to find, you know, that another uncut version or another original big box version. Oh definitely. They were all they were all everybody was experts, I think, you know, they all mm. knew what to, you know, I think, you know, they published this 
39 list of 39 banned films or whatever the infamous 39 and the dpp uh, list yeah the dpt list and uh yeah you know that was sort of a, it was like a guide i suppose like a guidebook really you know or a guide list there you know you did you said that there'd be your sort of holy grails i think you mm. know if you saw those you know and uh but you know, there was a lot of them about, and of course they were they were quite available because a lot of the video shops took them off the shelves. And um, you, perhaps you mentioned that uh, certainly in my local store, I mentioned I'm, I was interested in, and they said, "Oh, we've got them here," you know, so you could you know you could buy them cheaply from the video shop. We just wanted to get them off the premises, really. And um, terrible films, most of them, though I must admit. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, I read, uh, I remember reading um, head presses. Uh, see no evil which is a sort of film by film review of i think it's the whole 72 you know the original the original films that got banned and then it got reduced to 39 didn't it that's and, it yeah yeah and and essentially that list became a kind of curate's egg of strange mostly italian and and other kind of sort of but 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 largely sort of roughly made american exploitation cinema there was a lot like that, wasn't there? That, yeah, that yeah. had no cultural worth whatsoever. And had <laughs> had you not banned them, they'd have disappeared without a trace. And what's weird for me is when you talk to American genre fans, and they've got the same list. It's like it's not that the films were banned, but but the list that Britain created carried carried so much weight that it, it helps identify for them. What, oh, definitely. What yeah. films yeah. to chase? Yeah. Yeah, and like an average film to the Americans that like, I spit on your grave, hmm. I think that you know the sort of notoriety of it in the UK came across again to the uh, to the states, and they were saying like hotcakes, you know, which is crazy. I think it was out on Wizard Video or something. I think in the states, you know. So, uh, and the first copies were imported. I think from you could import them, you could get a PAL copy, which was really unusual, you know. So because hmm. you got the two, you know, NTSC and and PAL there. Yeah, you know. I do. I know. I mean. Who, who, who remind me of the guy's name? Who was who was your Hong Kong cinema expert in the film? Uh, Ricky Baker. Yes, I mean, I, I I think you could make a documentary on him alone. Oh, Ricky's fantastic. Yeah, and he's been he's been in a lot. He's done a lot, you know, on there. He turned, especially you know, if you look at the martial arts genre, mm. or you know, you're talking about John Woo, then he's in everything really, you know. So he's um, but it was great to get him here, you know, because obviously when. When Tony sold the, you know, the shop, the basement shop, yeah. went upstairs, Ricky took over that shop. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, I think he's it, sort of mentioned later on, you know, and yeah, yeah. So, you go back again and down to the same, down the basement again, you know, in the dark, and see Ricky, but at this time it was all Kung Fu or John Woo or, yeah, you know. And Ricky's the man, you know, Ricky and, and, and Toby Russell are the, you know, the total experts, you know, I mean, it's, they know every obscurity going. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's that kind of knowledge that in some senses the internet has killed this off, hasn't it, in a sense, this need, the need for that kind of expert because his expertise was to do with having his hands on the, on the product, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. In yeah, the, yeah. He says he says in the interview, you know, it just you know, it's a it's a shame. It you know, it sort of uh, internet killed it all off, really. You know, it's a shame. Now, I think another thing, you know, about the magazines as well. I think you used to a magazine called Eastern Heroes, which is great. You know, so you get that <coughs> again. That that's promoting the tapes. How oh, the latest John Woo there or something, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it was really good stuff. You know, you, you sort of got all the. 
you knew what was going on then, you know, with uh, just reading that magazine. Now, what I like to ask people who make documentaries is that obviously you, you, everyone goes into a documentary with a certain perception or idea as to what they're going to discover, because obviously you wouldn't choose a subject that you had no interest in whatsoever. Um, so, so having gone through the process of making Once Upon a Time in Camden, what for you was your favourite discovery that you didn't know before you started doing interviews? Yeah, that's, a, that's sort of a hard one, because really, it was quite planned, really. I think, you know, though the great thing about this, probably, probably as opposed to VHS 1, you know, VHS Forever, Psychotronic People, mm. we, we, we probably use more sort of questions, stock questions per, you know, we do a bespoke approach with yeah. like the questions for, you know, um, you know, Graham Humphreys, for instance, or Norman J. Warren. Yeah. But here, I, I wanted to just, to, you know, perhaps put a curveball in and, People are expecting questions, but I didn't do it like that. And I think, you know, it's quite natural. I think, you know, they've got some really good stories come out. And mm. it's just all on the back of the, you know, the people were very kind to do the, you know, do the documentary with me, you know. But, but yeah, no, I get, I get, I get that. But, but for, for, for what they told you and what they were able to shine light on in terms of their experiences, what was your kind of... What was it, what was there any surprises for you from what they were? Just just the story, just some of the stories they came out with. You know, mm. I mean, a lot of them, you know, you heard, but there, there was some good. You know, I've never met. I think, um, you know, people like Justin uh, Angel and people like that I've never met before, mm. and um, and Mick Keenan as well, and Rob Williamson. You know, we all met up on the day of the shoot mm. at Camden. We basically shot it over two. Two months or two two different Saturdays of the film fair there, you know, right. and it gives it that, you know, the authentic feel there, you know. No, totally, totally. Now, for, for, given given that kind of approach, I mean, I, I, and I appreciate this as someone that does lots of uh, podcast interviews with people I've not met, I've not met before, I speak to them. Um, what's what's your approach to interviews? Where obviously you're you're meeting someone for the first time, you're rolling the camera, then you're suddenly interviewing them which is obviously not the same as going to a party and somebody saying, hello, hello, this is Mark, hello, this is John, and then you sort of slowly get to know each other. There's a pressure, isn't there, when you're doing kind of interviews to sort of almost cut to the chase. So Definitely, yeah. So what's, what's, what, what do you think, what, what, have you found your approach to people you've never met before in terms of trying to get them talking? Yeah, well, it was a sort of quick, you know, quick sort of handshake, if you like, and mm. then... I sort of tell them, I'll give them a little bit of coaching and say, tell them about, you know, what we want to do. You know, perhaps you go, oh, yeah, you, can, you mentioned this and that, or, you know, mention a film or something. And that was it, really, and just rolled the camera. And it's it's quite sort of natural. You know, these guys just come out with some great stories, mm. you know, which I've never heard before. So it was, a, you know, that's sort of a revelation to me, I think. So in a sense, it's like for you, the the the, the idea of identifying what was important to go in the documentary it was almost like, if I've learned something, then in a way, the, the biggest veteran of the psychotronic store is going to learn something too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And I think, even, you know, Tony Clark really enjoyed it. And Lino, who's mentioned a few times, he, he certainly enjoyed the documentary, you know. So it's, uh, you know, job done as far as I'm concerned. You know, the people who, you know, you know, who enjoyed it, who, you know, actually owned the psychotronic store or worked there every day, then, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased. It's interesting. To go, I mean, I've had David Gregory's been on the podcast to give us his five Great British Horror films uh, earlier this year. And, and obviously Seven Films is a very specialist, you know, Blu-ray, uh, you know, they package them up beautifully, don't they? And, and, and uh, Definitely, yeah. 
Yeah. And then we're all waiting with bated breath for the blood on Satan's claw that's going to eventually find its way to yeah. the shelves. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, but but um, what was fascinating is that, to me, listening to his story, you're kind of like, he was destined to be running something like seven films. Of course, it, yeah. A lot yeah. from Nottingham is getting the train down, and he's getting the train down and finding psychotronic stories and open that day, and he still comes back another weekend hoping it is, looking for his, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of rare or not always available VHSs. It's sort of like he was he was showing the a bit like um, a bit like people who you know who, who who were singing in front of people from the age of fourteen. You're like, well, they were always going to be a pop star kind of thing. It was obvious that David Gregory was going to be doing something to do with uh, with film. The way that it, it, it's sort of, that idea of of, of a fifteen year old getting because at fifteen I wasn't going down to London to uh, to find you know the, the the secret things that I couldn't find. No, no, no. That's it, you know. So it, you know, it's, it's a long way to come, isn't it? Mm. So he was certainly destined to do it, and he's such a nice guy. I mean, I probably only know him about five years, but he said to me, you know, I told him about the documentary, and he said, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll film my bits here in Los Angeles and uh, and send it to send them to you. Fantastic. So I basically I gave David a, a set of questions, <laughs> and that's probably the only one that was really scripted there. You mm. know, um, gave him a set of questions, and he filmed his bit. And uh, it's fantastic, you know. I mean, I'm really it, pleased. That's, and that's interesting as a as a thing because that's a good for people, for people listening. You maybe have a, who are thinking about making a documentary, and they're thinking that you know the geographic sort of diversity of where people are that they want to talk to is somewhat problematic. So what you're saying is you gave you gave David an idea of what you wanted him what you wanted to ask him, and let and let him film his bits. Yeah. Yeah, and he put that lovely stack of uh, you know some books and VHS tapes on the uh, on the side as well. I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> oh, he certainly does. He, he certainly does. Yeah, yeah. But you know, and there were so many good stories. I mean, so it, it worked really well. Now, uh, when, when and how can people see the documentary? Yeah, well, we've got we, we, what I'm doing at the moment. We're, we're sort of doing the David Gregory Severin route, really. We're we're, we're showing it at festivals. So we've. Um, we had the premiere on the 9th of September in uh, in London's West End as part of Worldwide Weird. Yeah. A friend of mine, Merlin uh, Roberts, runs. You know, yeah. as a sort of monthly film club, really. You know, yeah. which is which is weird. You'll have to come to that. It's really very good. Yeah. And we're actually showing the film at the uh, this Sunday at mm. the Manchester Fantastic Film Festival. Okay. So that's showing at 12 noon. So. Uh, Okay, so, so if you've got all the so you've got all the dates in the diary, that people can people go to a website and look at what screenings are available. We're, yeah, we're going to put. I'm going to put. Well, I'm a bit slow. I've not done a website for this one, which I did for the last film. Okay, but yeah, we, we, we're sort of, we're doing the festival. So I mean, as and when the opportunities come up, or you know, we'll show in the film. So that's to sort of plan up until the end of the year. Okay, come January, we're going to do a limited edition uh, uh, VHS version. Okay, which you're hopefully bo- be a you're bonkers, but, but obviously that makes sense. Well, yeah, but they, they said that before. They said, Mark, you know, you're not going to sell it. We sold 200 copies on VHS. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. And perhaps a lot of people, um, they don't want to be rude, but they call them trophy hunters. People like just put 
perhaps I'd just like to put the big box VHS on the shelf or something, you know. But, you know, we put a, we put a DVD in there as well. So it was, uh, and, and then funny enough, a DVD fits very nicely in a, in a big box. Uh, it does indeed. You know, one of these big rental, you know, clamshell boxes, you know. So, so okay, so you've got, you've got festival dates as much as you can until the end of 2019. Then January, you're going to do a, a limited edition VHS release. And then... And then is it going to be a wide, just a general wider release for the DVD? Or? Well, you know, we're always looking, you know, if anybody's listening out there, you know, mm. we're always looking for a distributor. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the first one did, did, you know, he's got a good audience, very, you know, and some good reviews as well. So I was, I was really proud of that. Mm. But, yeah, we, yeah, we'll, it will come to the eventual DVD, I think, you know, and possibly streaming. But that, that's later, you know. I think it's, it's a good, a small little independent film, yeah. Well, it's probably the smallest, the smallest budget ever, I should think. You know. Yeah. Um, and you know, we just we could just sort of take our time and which we did with the first one. You know, and we had some great dates. We again, we had the Manchester Fantastic Film Fantastic Film Festival. We played the Forty Second Street Festival in Birmingham with that, and um, you know, had some great, you know, some great goings there. Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll put the details in then when we've got a link in the show notes so people can follow it if they want to see if there's a screening sure. near them soon, and we'll put in the preemptive sort of January details for the limited edition release and stuff, and obviously as, as that becomes more firmed up, we can revise the show notes on the podcast. So it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Bookflix podcast. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, you know, having me on the show, Stuart. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.